Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. Church is definitely family, but it's not an introverted family. It's not a family that looks only inside itself. It's a family that looks outside of itself. And it's excellent. Let me move this uh, just around a little further. Uh, Maybe you're new to this church this morning. Maybe your friends invited you. Maybe you haven't been to church for a long time. Maybe uh, maybe you're here by accident. Maybe you thought this was another church. (laughs) Uh, Maybe maybe you just um, just thought, well, hang on, I'll give it a go and uh, see if God's there. Well, God is definitely in this church. People have been getting healed in our services. Uh, many people have been baptised. And uh, just all the dynamics you expect of a healthy, healthy kingdom of God environment is in this church. And if you are thinking, you know, what is my journey? Well, you know, if you're new to us this morning, then think about joining with us and connecting with us. But it's not a case of just attending. It's a case of being committed to God's call in your life. And as we look at this uh, subject this morning, running with endurance, this is the penultimate session. Adam has done a great job already in this series, and he'll be finishing up next week for us. In fact, I want to commend Deborah as well. She did a great job early on in the series. And Vlad also did a super job last week on Noah. And if you missed any of those, those uh, preachers, then please listen to our podcasts, which you can get to very easily through multimedia. Um, anyway, uh, as we go forward, um, the church, it's interesting, vision is one of these things Without a vision, people perish. Uh, but that's not just vision from the platform. That's vision in each one of us. And if we don't carry vision individually about what God's doing and where he's leading us, you will struggle. Uh, as a church, we have got more than enough options for vision. We've got heart, heart right now. To, um, we've got architects coming in early in September to talk to us about really what we can do with this site. We're in conversation with the local authorities. We're in conversation with the people who own the building next door to us. We're in conversation with those around us constantly about this site. So a vision to rebuild the site is a very real probability. But we don't want to displace God's plan by sticking our plan in the way. We want to know what God's saying. So we're not short of courage on this, by the way. Let me tell you, when God says yes, then we will do it. And God will provide. That's how we believe. But in the meantime... God is doing something in each one of us. And there could be other things. We're getting more churches coming to us, asking to partner with us, helping us or asking us to mentor leadership, provide leadership. Uh, Some of our our communicators have been teaching in other churches, um, really uh, because people are coming to us. Now, um, it's extraordinary. I can't tell you all the details because sometimes these things are a little bit sensitive. But but God is expanding us. Um, I'm looking at Tamsin right now and you may not realise this, but East West Ministries, which has been a pioneer of church planting throughout Europe for the last 30 years, um, that whole ministry has come into BCC in the last month. Uh, so why, what's God doing? Why has God given us a multi-country, European and international church planting ministry? Why has God brought that to us, even though in a sense we didn't really want it? It's a headache for us. But God will give us capacity, he'll give us stamina, he'll give us strength as we set our eyes forward on what he's doing. But it's no good just waiting for the platform to tell us what's going on. This morning, this preach is all about knowing God in our hearts and knowing God in our understanding. What is he doing? So this, this morning, the topic is, is Abraham. You know, Abraham is probably 
the father of faith in the Bible. You know, across the Islamic world, he's recognized for that. You know, the scriptures I believe in the Islamic world are, they get distorted because the truth's not really unpacked there. Um, but in the, uh, the Jewish world, of course, Abraham is a, is a powerful, powerful figure. And in our Christian world, he's a powerful, powerful figure. Why? Because his life stands for something extraordinary. And in the Hebrews text, we know that, um, that we can unpack that. You know, if I look at um, Abraham just by way of introduction, he came ten, ten generations after Noah's son. So last week we talked about Noah, and Noah walked with God. I love that. You know, that's the one thing. I mean, there was many good things in the preach last week, but Noah walked with God. He was a man who walked with God. I, I remember as a young believer, age sort of 17, 18, I thought, God, please, I want to be someone who knows what it is to walk with you. I'm sure you feel the same. I, I want to know that I am walking with God. And there are times when you feel like you're really close, and there are times when you feel like he's, he's out there somewhere, I don't know where, but, but he's always there. Uh, he's always there. But 10 generations after Noah's son, Abraham um, becomes challenged by, by God. Now, in that generation, um, there was godlessness in the world. And you may remember the Tower of Babel. That was built during that period of time. And the society then in the, in the Middle East was very much worshipping pagan gods, may have been some worshippers. But when men built the Tower of Babel, it's because they really felt that they were great. There was unity amongst men and women. There was one language. And God saw that. And in fact, God um, separated the people so that they wouldn't be proud in their own eyes and build a tower they thought could, could reach heaven. So God had this thing about people's arrogance and pride and it's very, very clear. In fact, in those 10 generations, there's no record in Hebrews 11 of any man or, or woman of faith. So for those 10 generations, in those days, people lived a long time. In all that time, there's no example, and th then Abraham appears. Now, Abraham, to our knowledge, had no heritage of a real understanding of who God, the Creator, is. He was just like everybody else. He was, he was in a society, and God spoke to him in that sinful society and God intercepted his life. And maybe you're in a sinful society activity yourselves. Maybe you are, maybe you are, you've been to church a few times. Maybe you've walked in this morning. Maybe you, maybe you have, you know, you, you love the world. You love building your own tower. Maybe you are building a tower of finance, a tower of career, a tower of identity. Maybe you're building all this stuff. But actually, God doesn't like self man-made, man-appointed towers. God doesn't like it and God will do something about it. But God has a way of coming into our world and making a change. Uh, as I said, Abraham's view is the father of faith. He's the only man who is called God's friend. God's friend in Scripture twice, in Isaiah 41 and also James 2. Um, let me see if I can get this PowerPoint to work for me. Oh, it's good. R.T. Kendall says that faith always looks beyond yourself never within yourself. Now this is quite important because often the world will tell you it's all about self-belief. It's about believing in yourself. Now I'm not saying you don't trust your judgment but faith always looks beyond yourself. It's not itself, yourself. Faith always looks beyond yourself. It's looking to something beyond yourself. Vlad pointed out last week, without you, Jesus is the one who gives faith. True faith can only come from God. True faith. So in other words, the world's comment about faith is probably not really faith. It's probably just self-driven, personal, I can do this because I've got the ability to do it. I, it's a self thing. 
God doesn't like self stuff. God likes God stuff. And God says, if you want to do great stuff, you come into my kingdom, which is why the Tower of Babel, effectively, he intercepted that plan. Faith always looks beyond yourself, never within yourself. Now, the Bible does say, reflect upon yourself, look at yourself, examine yourself, understand who the real you is. Because the, the, the truth is, um, sometimes we're good at partitioning the real you. And men are in boxes and, and women are like spaghetti, that's what I'm told. That women attach everything to everything <laughs> and men just compartmentalise. That, that may be general and maybe you're, you run against the grain, but I think broadly speaking that's probably fair. But men who compartmentalise can stick sinful behaviour in a box and they'll put it over here and they'll say, you know, that's okay, God's grace, but I'll just carry on doing my life over here. And, and actually there's a whole world of sin in that box. And then years later, that world of sin just gets slowly unpacked. And the reality is, men who live in two worlds, who have their world of sin boxed up, one day that box get, will get opened. Why? Because it's got to come out. If it doesn't come out now, it will come out when you meet, meet our Father in heaven. It, it's got to be dealt with. So the reality is, um, you may hate the pain of exposure, but God is a loving God, and God will deal with things in our lives. Uh, and, you know... As I say, women, a lot of things attach to a lot of other things and sometimes we attach the wrong things to the wrong things and, and uh, we've just got to be very careful. Faith looks beyond yourself, never within yourself. Otherwise, if it's always about you and what's going on inside you, you can miss everything. You can miss what God's doing. Remember, we're in His kingdom, not our kingdom. It's all about His kingdom. We always, uh, it never looks within yourself. Faith always leads us outside ourselves. Why? Because faith perceives its object. And faith's object is always God. Faith's object is not you. The object of your faith is not you. It is God. It's God. Remember that. It's so easy to say, look, you know, even as a Christian, you can be at home in your devotional times, reading the scriptures, and God, what am I to do? <laughs> what, what, it, it's always me, me. We've got to change our language. God, you, you, where is your kingdom direction? What, you may be in here as a visitor and God is absolutely intercepting your life because you've got to stop thinking about you. You've got to start thinking about him because otherwise you'll build a tower and not even realise it and God will need to break it down. So, right, our key text this morning, um, first part is in Hebrews 11, 8 to 10. Let me stick my glasses on. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner living in tents. Jumping on to verse 10, Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. And then from verse 17, it was by faith Let me just pull that back. There we go. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac. Verse 18. Even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. Um, I've deliberately broken the chapter up into these two chunks. I mean, if you look at Abraham's life, 
he is highly reported in scripture. Old Testament is full of Abraham. And the New Testament, you know, he's referenced 94 times in the New Testament. And in Hebrews, one of the, well, he's the biggest chunk of text around him and his work and what he did for God. And the reason I've got these two bits in is because we, we know of the Apostle Paul's d- description of justification by faith, and that's applied primarily to what Abraham did in believing God and leaving when God said go. James talked about the justification by works, and that relates to the whole Isaac sacrifice part. So there's these two parts. Now, you may be very familiar with this, but you may also be new to the faith, and this is new to you, that faith has got both substance in terms of what you believe and do in terms of response, but also what you do proactively in terms of serving God's purpose. The two things cannot be separated. If you say you're a man of faith, yet you don't serve God's purpose, then your faith is, is empty. Your faith is a noise. Your faith is, is a vapour. Your faith is something that you think exists, but actually it's not proven. Your faith hasn't got substance necessarily attached to it. So let's look at Abraham, some principles around Abraham's response to faith. And the first thing is, uh, faith responds to God's call. Faith responds to God's call. And so I'm going to dive back into Genesis 2, in the first, uh, Genesis 12, verse 3 verses. It says, The Lord said to Abraham, not Abraham, Leave your native country, which in this case was Haran, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and I will be a blessing, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. That promise applies to us. That is amazing. That pro- this is, there's so much to the Abraham story. We are spiritual sons of Abraham. By virtue of our faith in Jesus Christ, we are grafted in, the Bible describes. It's a very sophisticated and yet incredibly simple, um, incredible knitting of the Old Testament with the New Testament. There is an incredible thing going on. Abraham received a covenant promise at the beginning of Genesis 12. A covenant promise. Do you see that? I counted five times. God says, I will. I will. So when you get married, guys who are getting married, you'll go, go into a covenant commitment. Now, covenant is not contract. Covenant is not contract. Uh, a contract is two parties, and if you've just started a business recently or you've bought a house, then you've got a contract that you agree between two people, and that contract is normally negotiated, and you both have rights in that contract. A covenant is different to that. You know what the difference is? A covenant is one party that says, I will do this for you. And it's up to you to just ha- accept it or reject it. That's what a covenant is. A covenant, and God talks about covenant blessings because God says, I will do this for you. This is what I'm going to do. And you can't stop someone in a covenant covenanting to you. It's their choice. You can reject it or you can accept it, but you don't, you're not party to the agreement in terms of negotiating detail. And that's what God's done. He says, I'll, I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make you famous. Um, I'll bless those who bless you, I'll curse, and it goes on. So God says, I will do these things. Now this is a covenant promise. It's also repeated in Acts 3 and verse 25. It shows us the power of this, this covenant contract and Peter's great sermon. And did you know, um, Abraham was 75 when he, or Abraham at the time, was 75 when he received this call. And it wasn't until he was 99 that Abraham became Abraham. That's when God actually confirmed the covenant and nailed that covenant. And you know what the, conf- the, the covenant was 
directly tied to circumcision. The covenant of circumcision at the age of 99. That was 24 years into the obedience of Abraham. And in this world, in our lives today, we want everything yesterday. If I don't get what I ask for tomorrow, if the church doesn't do this for me, if my friends don't do that for me, if I don't get it tomorrow, if I don't get what I want, I'm out of here. I'm telling you, faith is not based on that stuff. That's soulful, that's selfish, that's self, that's your, you're building your tower. If it's all about what you get when you want it, that's Babel. Babel means the root word for babble. It's, you're a babbler. If, if all you want is, this is what I want, this is what I want, this is what, if I don't get it, I'm off. If I don't get this out of the relationship. Covenant is not about that. It's about giving and it's about patience and it's about willing to serve. It's about, and Abraham demonstrated this brilliantly. And we know from Genesis 17 about this covenant of circumcision. Now, we're not going to go into that because it's, it's not a particularly interesting area for, for us this morning. But other than say that the Hebrew root word for covenant is actually cut. Interesting, isn't it? The root word of covenant means to cut. Now you may understand why circumcision was materially relevant to this covenant of circumcision and what Abraham did. And it was identifying the nation that he would produce. And God gave him a new name. And it's amazing because i just just dipping into Genesis 17 for a moment. It says right at the beginning, it, God says to Abraham, if you will serve me blamelessly and live a blameless life, then I will. It's amazing. God still, this is 24 years into his obedience. <laughs> if you will live blamelessly, then I will. God is not short term. God is a long term thinker. God is not, you know, he has got plans that he wants us to uncover. It's not a quick shoot from the hip. It's not, it's not springing from one thing to the next thing. It's what is God's plan? And because his plans, sometimes they're immediate, but often they have got a purpose and a process to them. Often a purpose and a process. Let's spring back to Hebrews 11. In verse 8 it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home. He went without knowing where he was going. He was, it, it implies in Scripture that Abraham obeyed by departing. In other words, as he was being called, he was already going. The immediacy of Abraham's response was, or Abraham's, we'll call him Abraham going forward because it's easier. The immediacy of his response was that he said, right, even as he was being called, he was going. So he was moving straight away as soon as he sensed God's call. But you know what? Abraham had no example. He had no example from anybody else in his life. This is why he's a man of faith, a great father of faith, because he, he didn't have a pastor to go to. He didn't have a, a parent who can give him guidance. He didn't have a, friend, a best friend he can Twitter or Facebook or whatever and say, look, I'm thinking of doing X, Y, Z. He, he didn't do that. He just had to trust God's voice. And that's the big dilemma we've all got. God. God affirms us as we are, but confirms us with signs through our obedience. This is really important. It may seem like a long expression, but God affirms us as we are. In other words, we come to God as individuals in our circumstance, but confirms us with signs through our obedience. This is the two sides of faith working. God, um, he always gives us the option. He gives us the challenge. He gives us the call but confirms us as we're obedient in what we do. It's God's pattern. That's how he does things. God's never against greatness, you know. God's never against it. God is for it. As long as he's the architect of it. As he's the architect of it. It's interesting. Um, Babel got it wrong. He wanted to make Abraham great, but he wanted to be the architect of Abraham's greatness. 
And that's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to be the architect of the great things you do. He doesn't want you to build your tower and then somehow attach it to some quasi-relationship to somebody you don't really know. Um, he had no example and he had no one to approve his direction. And God always requires some form of separation in faith. Um, in the response to God's call, there's always a separation of something. There's always a separation. Something has got to go. When we follow God, when we trust in his word, when we trust in his voice, when we have a sense of authentication about his voice, when we have an affirmation of what God's saying, there's always a separation of something. And uh, it's what is it that God is separating? I'll ask you right now, what is it that God is separating in your life? Has God identified anything this morning that needs to be separated in your life? Because there's a cost to separation. In the Middle Eastern times, to, to leave your father and your mother, to leave your home, was a major deal. Patriarchal society. You know, even today, people are very patristic. They are very uh, father-orientated in the Middle East. You leave your father, that's a big deal. But there's always a separation. When you hear God's call and you're called by God, there's always going to be a separation. But God's call is always towards an inheritance. And that's what he had for Abraham. And Abraham was excited. That's why as he heard the call, he responded. A man who didn't go to church. A man who had... Imagine what he'd do in our environment. He did so many people who... who he didn't have a Bible. Do you realise that? He was going right back in the beginning of Genesis. This guy had to just trust that he'd heard God. Had to trust. He had to know. And he had to know for himself. Otherwise, he was a fool. But what do we need to separate ourselves from today? You know... Um, Jesus said, for the joy set before me, he endured the cross. For the joy set before me, he endured the cross. The joy. Abraham actually was joyful about this call. Abraham was joyful because he knew there was a big call. He knew there was a big call in his life. Did you know the word ecclesia, the Greek word for church, means called out? Now, it doesn't mean to be separate from. We're, not, we're called out of the world. It means we're still engaged in the world, but we are, there's a calling out of us. But it does mean to be called out. What do we need to separate ourselves from today? And how did Abraham know that his call was real? How did he know his call was real? He had an affirmation in his heart. God affirms who we are, but confirms to us, as we said earlier. I'm just going to go back to that slide. God affirms us and confirms us through signs and obedience. He passes us before testing us. He persuades us before he perfects us. He assures us before he authenticates us. He approves us before he proves us. There's these two steps. God is always wanting to do the work in our life. He's affirming us, but then the confirmation of that, that affirming comes as we walk. And the truth is, it's very personal. You, you can't be told by someone else what God is doing in your life. You can't. It's personal. You have to know. But you have to be realistic. You have to be truthful. You have to <coughs> genuinely know that God is speaking. What is God? The biggest dilemma for many Christians is, what is God saying in my life? I mean, you, I've said it many times, God, what, what are you guiding me into? What is that direction? Why? Because that's the heart of faith. And Abraham's call is about knowing for sure that it's God who's spoken. It's not just an imagination. It's God who's spoken. God who has spoken. It's God who's spoken. You know, it's interesting. God never says, um, I choose you if you believe. I choose you if you believe. In fact, it says in John 15, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go 
and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. You didn't choose me, I chose you. God always says, I've chosen you, now believe. I've chosen you, now believe. This is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his sons a sacrifice to take away our sins. God always chooses us first. It's for us to believe. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. What an amazing thing. God has chosen you. God has chosen you already. But what's he chosen you to do? There's a call on your life. What is he calling you to do? You may already full on in that call. You may be thinking, what is that call? What's that? But you know what? That call is always being navigated. In Abraham's journey, that response to that call was being navigated for 24 years till the covenant and circumcision was established. 24 years of navigation took place. 24 years. And what is the gospel? It says, and this is real love, that not that uh, we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his sons a sacrifice to take away our sins. Jesus Christ paid the price. Jesus Christ's death, we sang that brilliant song in the worship today about his love and his sacrifice. Um, he sent his son, the Father sent his son to take away our sins. Why? Because you can't take away your sins. You can only trust God to take away your sins. You know, how do we overcome unbelief? There's a little story in, in Mark 9 uh, of a man, a father, whose son was oppressed by an evil spirit. And it says, the spirit often, this is what he said, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us, the man said, and help us if you can. And Jesus replied, what do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked, anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief. Anything is possible if you believe. By faith, anything is possible, but you need to know that God's absolutely at the centre and he's the one who's navigating. Anything is possible. You know, there's a rhythm. I just want to break out of this for a moment. There's a rhythm in the kingdom of God. Who knows there's a rhythm in the kingdom? Does anyone know there's a rhythm in the kingdom? Say rhythm. rhythm. Who knows there's a rhythm in the kingdom of God? There's a, that, there's a Holy Spirit rhythm in the kingdom of God. And the other day, now, I'm going to have some fun here because he's, he's in France at the moment, Vlad. Last week, he made this big thing about um, he'd been doing a run. Remember that? And he said, um, uh, you know, after 10 or 15 minutes, he was doing this run around the streets. I don't know who he was chasing, but anyway, he was, he was or running from. But he said he was out of breath and felt like collapsing. And, of course, this series is running with endurance. And I actually, I just had this inspiration. In fact, Vlad also said that he passed through. Uh, who was continuing on her journey and doing very well by all accounts. And Vlad collapsed and had to go home. That's what I picked up from it. Now that guy's 25, right? Um, so I, I know I'm not much older than him. <laughs> Oi. <laughs> um, anyway, running with endurance. It wasn't tied to the message series, but I really thought I wanted to get back into it. Now I haven't been running for over a year. Um, I did have a knee injury. I was, it was MRI and everything and the surgeon said they would do an operation. In the end I just thought I don't want to do operations because it can bring more complication than it's worth. So I just thought I'll rest it, rest it, rest it. And so earlier on this year I did a short jog for about 10 minutes and then the week before Vlad came up to preach I thought I'll go to the gym and do a run on the running machine. I thought I'll try and do 10 or 15 minutes myself. Let me tell you I borrowed Liz's car and I said I'm only going to be out 45 minutes and I was on this running machine and I found a rhythm and it was just amazing to me. I felt like something extraordinary was going on. Maybe it was a miracle. Who knows? And, um, 
and this was the week before he preached, as, as I say, and, and being slightly older than Vlad, I, I, anyway, I, I, st- I started to get on this machine, and you know, it was going smoothly, and I thought, this is good. You know why? Because I didn't run too fast. I didn't, I didn't run the way I, th- I used to run years ago. I just took it steady. I took a steady, I got the rhythm going. I, and I, I, th- I thought, this is good. And um, I realized after about, well, after a few minutes, I'd hit two kilometers. And then I, th- then I hit three kilometers. And then I got a text from Liz, when am I getting my car back? <laughs> and I texted back and said, look, I, I want to I try and get to five kilometers. And I, I just carried on. The rhythm was going great. And you ever try to text while you run it? I probably, <laughs> it's really difficult. <laughs> anyway, I should do that kind of Siri thing. But anyway, I, I, jogging and, um, well, actually, it wasn't a jog. It was a, it was a proper run. This wasn't, this wasn't slow. This was a proper run. You'd be proud. It, it was a proper run. Anyway, <laughs> oh, this it was a proper run. And um, I was running with endurance. Anyway, I got to 5K and I texted Liz, I've got to 5K. This is amazing. I'm going to see if I can get to 10. And, and so I hadn't run 10K in years. And, um, and I, every time I got to another K, I texted her and said, six. I got to six. <laughs> it was probably then seven, then eight, then nine. And then I hit 10K. And I thought, this is amazing. This is amazing. I didn't know I had it in me to run 10K. You don't know what you've got in you. You don't know what you've got in you until you start taking one foot in front of the other. Don't overstretch yourself. The kingdom of God is not about sprinting and killing yourself, trying to be like Usain Bolt. It's more like Mo Farah. (laughs) (laughs) The Mark Bot. That's what I felt like doing. I felt like doing the Mark Bot off that running machine. And, but it's not, it's, it's a steady thing. You find your rhythm and start going. God didn't say to Abraham, sprint with all your family into Canaan. He just said, start moving, start moving. I can do something with you if you start moving, start moving. And that's what God says. And you know, the week after, this last week, I went back to the gym and I hadn't even thought about it twice. I thought, I'm going to do 10K already. This is now my second run this, well, third run this year, but second run of anything of substance. I go on that machine, I put the speed up, Proper run, 10K, quicker time, and it was brilliant. And I just thought, that's amazing. I'm doing something now I couldn't do three weeks ago. And that's what you can do. You can do that. It's the same spiritually with our faith. You know, at one point I thought, well, I'm preaching on running with endurance. So I thought, this is great. I thought, I wonder if I can close my eyes and run. Now, have you ever tried to close your eyes and run on a running machine? It's very dangerous (laughs) because that thing is going in that direction and you're going in that direction and you kind of need all your senses to keep in the center. And I just thought, I wonder if I can close my eyes and see how far I'll get. I, I tell you what, <laughs> you just run straight off the back. <laughs> but um, I did it for three paces. I was doing it in paces. I did one, two, and that was... Anyway, you know what? I built it up to 100 paces. And on a running machine, that's like 100 meters. So I ran with my eyes shut for 100. Now, I don't recommend it because it's very stupid. It's a bad thing to do and it can be very dangerous. But when you get into a rhythm, the rhythm can carry you. This is the point I'm trying to make. When you get into that rhythm, I'm not saying get into routine. I'm just saying when you get into rhythm, when you let God get you into a rhythm, things can change. I was with a guy called David Shibley a few years ago in Ethiopia. Dr. David Chibley is a, a leader in an international organization working with businessmen. And uh, he's a brilliant communicator. And he's in a rhythm. And I was really impressed one time. We were in Ethiopia and we were doing some training with a whole Gunnett network of churches in, in, in Ethiopia. A uh, lot of eminent leaders there. And David came down, I think it was breakfast. And I, I said, how's, how's your morning going, David? And he said, oh, it's going really great. It's tremendous. A woman just gave her life to Christ. And I thought, this is before breakfast. 
You know why? He was in a rhythm. He was in a rhythm. His heart, his mind, he was just thinking, what is it that God's going to do through me now? What? And he, before he was even thinking about it, he was on that treadmill. He was already in, he, was in, he had his gear on, even though he didn't look like it. He was, he was already there. And he said, well, I, I passed this chalet mate. She was walking along with the buckets and, and whatever. And, uh, and I, we just spoke for a couple of moments. And I said, hey, do you know Jesus Christ? And she said, well, yeah. And he said, well, have you ever given your life to Christ? And she said, no. Do you want to? Yeah. So on his way to breakfast, led this woman to Christ. And I, that's the kind of rhythm you can get into. You can get into a rhythm. And it can be in all sorts of different areas. And I love the fact that God, God does that. He does that. He comes to us. You know, it says, um, research shows that it takes 21 days to create a good habit, a new habit. 21 days. 21 days. So if you want to change habits, if you want to do something new, 21 days. Yale University discovered or did a, did a report uh, that it takes 90 days for the brain to reset itself after an addiction. So actually, it, it takes longer to break addictions. It takes 90 days to break addictions. But in that breaking the addiction, and you may be addicted to bad behavior, you may be addicted to the wrong things, but you can create, you can create a new rhythm. You can do it. You can start today. You can say, I'm going to start a new rhythm. I'm going to get myself. I'm going to go at my pace. I'm going to start. But you start by doing something. You take that first step. So how is God calling you? If I were to challenge you, you've just got back from holiday, but how is God calling you today? What's he calling you to pick up and run with? What's he calling you? What are those great uh, crowd of witnesses, cloud of witnesses cheering you on towards? What's God doing? Second key point, and these last two are much quicker. The first point was uh, um, Abraham's faith responded to God's call. And uh, the second point is that faith continues believing. God's kingdom is what it's all about. God's kingdom. Hebrews 11 verse 9, just the first part. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner living in tents. He was like a foreigner. It's a strange comment that. He was nomadic. He was like a foreigner. You know, when he arrived in Canaan, there was no band. They just arrived. In fact, God had to tell them they'd arrived. There was no band. There was no fanfare. There was no fireworks. There was no congratulations and welcome home. Welcome back from your honeymoon. There was none of that. No happy birthday. They just arrived. And then it says in the scriptures in Genesis that he, he built an altar to God when God told him they'd arrived in Canaan. It was the promised land, but it was not the ultimate destination. And there's a danger. Sometimes we think the promised land is the destination, but actually it's the journey towards the destination. It's not, faith is not about having possessions, but possessing what God gives us. It's not about what you possess, it's about you possessing what God is giving you. And there is stuff God has lined up for you to possess in your work, in your college, in your friendships, in the church, in your serving. There is stuff God has given you to possess, to go and occupy. He's got stuff right in front of you, no matter how old you are, young you are. God is, look, Abraham was 74 and he was called out and he didn't get that covenant confirmed until he was uh, 75 and he didn't get covenant confirmed until he was 94. Um, you know, it's not about always today. It's about what God's leading us to. It's not about what you possess today. It's about the possessions that God wants to give you as you move forward. But, but Abraham's challenge was about, was about waiting. It was about trusting. And you know, even in the promised land, one of the first things you read about in Genesis is a famine. In the promised land, there was a famine. And so they go to Egypt and, and Abraham messes up there. It's not a flattering experience with Sarah, his wife, and, and the Egyptians. And in the end, they, they, you know, they, it all gets corrected. But you know, sometimes we have a dream and then we see the reality. 
The dream is that I'm going to have an amazing marriage. The reality is the marriage is under pressure. The dream is I'm going to have this fantastic new job. The reality, you get put under an awful lot of pressure. The dream is that the holiday is going to be the best one you've ever had, and then you go to Devon in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the dream and the reality are so often different, and part of the journey of faith is the continuing to believe despite the rain, despite the famine, despite all the stuff. That is still the place of promise that God has planned for you, and God has got a place of promise planned for you. He's got a place that He has established. One of the worst things that can happen to a man is for him to be successful before he's ready. And a journey of faith is about God preparing you to be successful. Do you realise that? And when you are going through the toughest time, maybe you, you've been desperately hoping that God will answer your prayer over this and that, about finances, about family, about children. But you know what? One of the worst things that can happen is a, that, um, is a man to be successful before he's ready. And part of God's plan is to prepare us for that future. It was great at the barbecue. I mentioned it earlier. The barbecue yesterday, uh, hearing Chris talk about his stepfather, Freddie. It was just an amazing, Chris is at the back there, amazing story about how God extended Freddie's life, we think, for by a couple of weeks and how Chris said that when he prayed with him in tongues and didn't know how, and, and, and Freddie, if I, you don't mind me mentioning this, do you, Chris? And Fred, Freddie, his stepfather, was, was really in a bad way and and had resisted Chris and his faith for a long time and just felt it was a, a clash and a problem in the family and had resisted him. And then when he got to that point when he reflected on himself, he asked Chris to come and pray for him. And not knowing what to pray, Chris just stood quietly beside him and prayed with him quietly in tongues. At which point, it sounds like Freddie got completely baptised in the Holy Spirit and God extended his, his life by, by two weeks. And that gave him that opportunity to make his peace with God. And, and that moment came in, but that doesn't happen for everybody. It was great to be at the barbecue and hear about Eric's heart for displaced people and this whole tragic Syria crisis and the whole story behind ISIS and the fact that God is bringing these nations to us. God is bringing the nations to us. We don't have to go abroad so much these days. The nations are coming to us. What are we going to do as a church to stand up? It's great to hear Eric's passion and his heart of faith. So get together with the men and motivate yourself. So even though you are in the right place right now, and you're waiting for God's promise to come through, God is doing stuff. He's doing a refining work. You know, it's interesting, Hebrews 11, 11, it says, By faith, Sarah herself, yeah, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. It's interesting, because sometimes we miss Sarah out in the Hebrews 11 text. We think it's um, Rahab, but actually Sarah's in there as well. It says, Sarah herself received power to conceive by faith. It's amazing, just this one line is sitting in there. But you know what they did? Her and, and Abraham did something a little bit silly. They went and decided to, God was taking too long. So they got involved in it and tried to accelerate the whole thing. And what did they do? They ended up having Ishmael with Hagar the maid. And um, what are we going to birth because of our impatience? Be very, very careful. God will give you powers to conceive stuff, but be careful what you give birth to. You might give birth to the wrong stuff, even though God's given you the power to conceive something incredible. God will give you that by faith. His faith will be in you to produce what he wants to produce, not what you want to produce. Otherwise, you go back to Babel. Remember that. This is very, very important. God is going to give you the power to produce. Make sure you're producing what God wants you to produce. Don't be rushing into the wrong stuff. Don't be right. It says in Romans 
4.18, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at the age of 100 years, about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. Oops. Never, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. Say stronger. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger and, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. Justification by faith. As we go forward as BCC, we are going to produce men and women of great substance and young people who will carry the power and conviction of knowing what God is doing. We are going to impact the marketplace. We're going to impact the pillars of community. We're going to see this church grow and we are going to church plant when the time is right. God is going to raise up leaders in this house. We already know people who are itching to grow and develop, but we've got to strengthen who we are. And we are in that period of continuing to believe as God takes us forward. And as we build up inside our, who we are, God is going to bring substance and vision into each one of us. I'm telling you, it's going to be incredible what God does. He's going to strengthen the discipleship in this place. Uh, new people will be strengthened. We're already putting things in place as a church to really walk alongside and strengthen and, and carry that journey with new people, new believers. Within the body of the believers here, within those who are already fellowshipping with us regularly, we're going to be bringing new, new levels of discipleship encouragement and um, and our leadership is going to be growing. It's going to be expanding and growing. I'm so excited. Who's excited about this? God is doing stuff. I'm telling you. You know what I've spent a lot of my summer doing? Speaking to principals of Bible colleges. I've been speaking to leaders of denominations. I've been speaking to people who know what's going on. I've been speaking to multiple denominations, not just AOG. And by the way, AOG, all the London leadership team are down here on Tuesday. So be careful if you're coming to site because we're all planning what's going on in the near future. But let me say to you, I'm not just looking at AOG. I'm looking at um, full-blown training programs so we can marry in not only knowledge-based understanding of the Bible, theological grounding for people at all levels, but also that we can move forward through mentoring, that we can move forward through fruit assessment. What is really, do people just talk about it or have they really got the goods? And then skills development. And we are looking to build that. Why? Because God, God has brought a lot of people and the, the other part of BCC will be joining us next week as they come back from holiday. But we are expanding and as God moves us forward, we've got to be people of substance who know what we believe and know this, that what we can carry and can carry responsibility. And finally, my third point, Faith is willing to sacrifice. Faith is willing to sacrifice. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. God promised Abraham that he would be the father of nations, but he had to go through the process of ultimately being tested in the thing that was most precious to him. And if we are going to carry the mandate and the responsibility, if we're going to see another hundred people give their lives to Christ, if we're going to baptise people, if we're going to start building more life groups, and by the way, as we go into the new series, Movement and Momentum, as we go into the autumn, we're going to be starting to launch new leadership, more life groups. As we do this, as you reflect on, on what your call is, we are going to be developing things. And so we've got to be able to handle people right and we've got to be able to grow people right. But it means we may have to lay down some stuff. What is it that God would have us to put forward and sacrifice? What is it that God's calling us to give up? And James had the example. It was James's understanding. 
that, that um, what we're willing to sacrifice um, is our testimony of justification by works. We don't need to read the text. This, in the end, is the end of this message. I'd like us to stand. Adam, could you join me? We have got an exciting, exciting future ahead of us as a church, but there are these three principles that we have got to respond to God's call. Faith is a response to God's call. It's about testing ourselves in that call. Secondly, faith continues believing. And you may have, like Abraham, a 24-year journey before God finally seals that covenant with you. But then watch what happens in that hundredth, that, that, that final year, that 25th year, at the age of around about 100, Abraham came into everything God was had for him, despite the mistakes, despite the errors of judgment. And today there are maybe people in this church that are at that point and you're thinking, well, I've walked this journey a long time. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you as sure as I'm standing here today, that God is about to release the potential in you that you have never, ever seen before. And I want to encourage you by faith to keep pressing in. But look into yourself and think, God, what is it that I've got to lay down? What is it that I've got to separate in my life? Because as I look at it, as I examine myself and as I lay it all before God, He will direct you. He will bring into fulfillment the very thing that you've been dreaming about, the thing that you've been longing for, the thing you've been looking for. In Jesus' name we pray. And we're going we're gonna to be committed to that as a church. We want to see you grow. We want to see ourselves grow. We want this kingdom of God that we, that we operate in to be the most amazing thing, that it carries the name of Jesus sky high, that his name is lifted up and people are drawn to him because of what they see happening in this place. Our love for Jesus and our commitment to faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? I'm going to pray now. Our time has gone. It's been a bit of a big hit, this, this topic this morning. But Lord God, we stand before you this morning, God, as a people who are ready, Lord, to take that next step. Lord, a people who are ready to move by faith, God. And this morning, before I close the meeting, if, if you have felt challenged by this message, or you feel that God is bringing you to a calling, and you're sensing it right now, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. brilliant I'm going to pray for those those hands that are raised Lord we pray for each person Lord and for this whole congregation of believers God that as we step forward Lord into the promise that you have set before us God that that God we would be fully equipped God I pray for the equipping capacity of this church to increase hugely over the next few months I pray God as we set vision and Lord as we as we involve and as we disciple and as we communicate, as we love, as we care, God, that, that Lord, those things have got to be separated, those things that have got to be laid down, those things we've got to be willing to sacrifice, God, you'd make it so clear. We pray, God, that you'd give us strength. We pray, Lord God, that you'd affirm the call that's on our lives. And for those who don't know that there's a call, or they don't feel it, they, don't, they feel disconnected, or they're not sure what that call is, I pray, God, over the next few weeks, Lord God, that you'll begin to reveal to them. Lord, may they hear your voice clearly about that next step. And those who know their call, Lord, I pray you strengthen them in their walk, in this time between, God, that, Lord, we would see great fruit. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.